Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever and wherever it is that you're listening to us, we want to thank you in advance. We as fans have always appreciated your input as fellow fans. When you're happy, we're happy. When you're upset, we are too. But sometimes we're just a little bit more honest. We are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. You can find us on Twitter at Bastards underscore Boston. I'm your host, Charlie Smith, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. You can find me on Twitter at Smith underscore MLB. Our other hosts for this episode are Cody Paulson, coming to us from Houston, Texas, by way of Ponte Vedra, Florida, and Nick Face, coming to us from Reading, Massachusetts. Cody, how are you doing, and where can the fans find you on Twitter? Charlie, I'm doing well. Thank you for that wonderful introduction, as always. Um, always nice to be able to hop on here and talk socks uh, after a series win. Uh, the fans can find me on Twitter at the Cody Paulson. Charlie, Nick, how are you guys doing tonight? Doing great. Nick, how are you doing? And uh, where can the fans find you? I'm doing great. It was really, uh, it was one of the warmer days that we've had so far for 2023 here in lovely Massachusetts. Um, and they can, uh, fans can find me at face the facts 15 on Twitter. Excellent. Right on. Let's get right into it. So for uh, this series, obviously taking it two games out of three, winning seven to two in the first game, a quick two to one finish in the second one, unfortunately losing game three, four to two, but a lot to unpack here. So uh, Cody, why don't you hit us off with your stud for this series? Uh, the stud for me for this series, um, I know he, he only had one appearance, but it's got to be Cutter Crawford. Uh, coming in, game two, tight game, high leverage situations. Uh, Sale was battling a bug early in the week. They didn't want him to go deep in the game. I think he only threw some 70 odd pitches, five innings. Uh, but to keep us, you know, with our noses in front, give us a chance to, to take the series um, and what could have been, you know, a seesaw game. Uh, I think the Diamondbacks scored an early run off a of sale and then we were able to kind of claw our way back. And to cap it off, he obviously had that great defensive play. Uh, with the ground ball off the ankle bone, stuck with it, you know, diving play across the foul line to to get the runner out at first, you know, kind of keep keep the game rolling, uh, keep zeros on the board. And, you know, this guy's just been pretty much whatever we need him to be, right? Whether it be a starter, whether it be a long reliever, you know, an opener, he takes the ball, he, you know, does his best and he, he gets outs, right? This is uh, a very different guy from the one that we saw in that Pirate series. He kind of got shellac with some some shoddy defense behind him but um yeah he had to be my stud for for the week because i don't i don't think we get the series done without him in game two nick anything you want to add just cutter crawford is such a weapon for this team i feel like he's the samurai sword if you want to put him in a starting role he'll figure out a way to get it done if you want to put him in that mid-relief role he'll get it done if you want to put him in a setup role he's going to figure out how to get it all set and to Jensen to close the game. I did want to ask you guys, can we just give the gold glove award right now to Cutter Crawford after that play last night? It was phenomenal. The athletic ability insane. from both Crawford. And I'm going to give Casas props on that too. As a former first baseman, I'm not anywhere near Casas level, but still the footwork that he put in to get that positioning into a spot where he could make that catch and get that out. Hella impressive. Hella impressive on that play. So I couldn't even believe when I looked up, I go, oh my God, he's out. And he was out by a good foot. So looking at replay from everything from there, job well done. I do think this um, little injury that 
he came about. I'm going to say it's a little injury. I think it's more of a, more of a precautionary state to make sure that he stays healthy, stays together, and the Red Sox don't have to worry about any other injuries lagging from him. So I like the move with going to Chris Martin just last night just to add some stability, make sure this could become a win. I love the take, Cody, on Cutter Crawford, definitely one of the stars of the series. Yeah, so since Cutter's first appearance of the season when he got absolutely blown up, allowing seven runs in four innings, this is a guy who's only allowed four runs in, uh, geez, I think it's like 25 innings now, and three of those four runs have been solo home run shots. Gabriel Moreno's ground ball that went off of his ankle, and, and to your point, Nick, I think, again, precautionary, nothing to be concerned about, especially after the athleticism that it took. Casas for the assist on that incredible play. That play alone really, I think, has been another like notch in the things that have continued to go well for Boston in an otherwise season that was expected to be so sad with injuries already starting the season, you know, not having Trevor Story, at one point not having Chris Sale. Adam Duvall going down after only a couple of weeks during the regular season. Things were starting to, to fall and not our way, but that was just masterful. Like a, an absolute masterful pitch, uh, like underhand toss. And it was, uh, I think it was Gabriel Moreno who hit it, who was at one point a highly touted catching prospect out of Toronto. So um, they, they lost a challenge on it, which was weird. And it's a very unique situation First base ump called it uh, out. Home plate crew chief called him safe. So he overrode the out call, and then they overturned it and, and, and lost the challenge on it. So kind of a weird play, and I think something else that needs to be tinkered with. I don't think that a manager should lose a challenge call if one umpire says he's out, another one says he's safe, because from an angle, especially where that home plate umpire was, you couldn't really tell if he was safe route. You were completely blocked. There was no way for you to see if he was on or not. So I felt kind of bad for, for Tori, the, the manager for Arizona there. And I like Tori, and I know Terry likes T uh, Tori Lavello, and I hope he comes to Boston if you know the opportunity presents itself. But great stud uh, there. Uh, Nick, any – oh, sorry, Cody, go ahead, please. Uh, I would just like to say I got my wires crossed. Uh, Crawford came in to relieve Whitlock under kind of a similar scenario. And Winkowski came in to relieve Sale. Um, both starters went five innings and they were trying to be precautious with both. But I just wanted to uh, hand up, admit uh, my mistake. I, I, I got those backwards. You know what's crazy is Cutter Crawford had, um, he came in and spelled Brian Bayo early this year. In a, in a masterful, masterful relief appearance, he pitched like six innings allowed, I think one hit and struck out like four or five guys. And I think that was against Anaheim uh, or, excuse me, Los Angeles Angels. Um, but that was the, the appearance that when he came out and did that, we're all kind of sitting there surprised of, wait, what? I mean, he just got, I mean, he wasn't really doing that great, especially after, you know, only been a, a couple of appearances during the regular season. But he's showing that he wants the opportunity to be a starter, especially where so many people have kind of, gone downhill but uh that's that's another conversation uh nick who's your stuff i go garrett whitlock 
And I got to tell you guys, I was a little uneasy with seeing or expecting what he's going to bring to the table in this start after being hurt for so long. I didn't know how much to really expect leading into this game. And when it started out, he did give up that home run very early in the game. So I already was saying into my mind, oh boy, here we go. He's in a starting role. I really want him in the bullpen. But I got to tell you, he really settled down and I give him props. One of the big things that I really enjoyed most out of this start was the difference in his changeup. I don't know how much you guys got a chance to dive into and take a look at just how his style with the changeup was in this game. He threw it slower. And I think that he did that with a changed grip. The more I looked at it and replayed it a little bit, it was dropping at different angles. And he was just pinpoint control with it, too. That really, to me, stood out the most from that start that he had compared to previous ones. He just had it. It looked great. I hope this adjustment that he's made is consistent. So overall, he went five innings in his start. Gave up one earned run. That was the home run. That was to, uh, I believe it was Kent Meta. Uh, he had four Ks. The big thing, again, that stood out to me, zero walks. That's huge. That means that he's on. And if the, you got a Garrett Whitlock who's on, lights out. That's exactly what you expected. So very encouraging start. I want to see what the next start looks like with this change in in style with this change up because that that can be electric. Cody. Yeah, I mean, this start is pretty much all of us waiting with bated breath, right? This is a guy that we've seen be oft injured when he's in the starting rotation, when he's trying to pitch every fifth day, you know, throwing more pitches uh, per appearance versus in that reliever role. And just to, you know, see him put a good outing together, come out of it seemingly unscratched, no, no reports of arm soreness or any injury or lat or hip or elbow or whatever it might be, I think is is a win, right? Nick touched on a lot of great statistics and the one that really stood out to me as well was that zero walks, right? It seems like with, you know, Boston's rotation specifically, if we can keep the walks down, usually we're in the mix, we're in the ball game, you know, we're a lot more competitive. It's one of those walk numbers start getting up that, you know, ball gets in play, pressure on the defense, you know, we end up booting it around the yard a little bit and, and kind of creating our own um, house of horrors. Uh, so the start was good to see, you know, Five innings is pretty much right where Cora likes to keep the starters at this point. Um, you know, I think that's something that we've all talked about. What's the sustainability for this bullpen if they're trying to get four innings every night? Um, but no, I mean, it was a, a great stud to pick exactly what you're wanting to see Whitlock come back and do and being able to pick up um, just a little bit more effectiveness and a little bit more crispness on that changeup, I think will will make his fastball even look look even more lively. The one thing that I, I, when it comes to here at Whitlock or anybody that comes off of an IL stint is how long are you going to go? Were you given a 65 pitch or 75 pitch limit? Were you given five innings or were you given to go ahead to stretch it out? This is a guy that went down with the same issue that Jeffrey Springs had from the Tampa Bay Rays who's done for the year. And so I was a little bit nervous. The first inning... I also was nervous. Ketel Marte is, or Ketel Marte is someone who 
Uh, shares a little familiarity um, with the Red Sox as far as his first couple years in the bigs, playing with the Seattle Mariners before going over to Arizona, had one crazy year where he had 30 homers, but he's kind of come back down to reality. He was leaving pitches over the plate a lot in the first and second inning, and that was allowing him to get tagged. The at-bats were lasting pretty long. You know, you had seven pitch at-bats, a nine pitch at-bat. He's kind of looking like we're going to labor and it's not going to work out. But he just kept on going. Okay, cool. We're going to try the changeup. We're going to try the sinker. But the, the changeup in the first inning was getting hit. Um, the, the pitch inside, I don't think that was a changeup to Marte. Um, it literally looked like it, it was off the plate. It was inside and he just kind of like clubbed it out and it just, it was out. It wasn't a power home run. It wasn't anything insane, but it was enough to do the job. And it allowed Arizona to start off the, the game with a run. Um, I will be the first to admit I was a little bit nervous thinking, Oh, we're two batters in and already the wheels are starting to fall off. And that's just lack of trust with someone who's coming back from an injury. But you know, Nick, to your point, he came back, uh, really came in, like came out hard, allowed two more hits, the remaining four and two thirds, struck out four guys, 92 pitches. That's the second most he's pitched so far this year. I am still not convinced that Garrett Whitlock is a starter. I do want him to return back to the bullpen when we have actual starters that can go five, six innings. The longer we keep him in there, the more likely it is that he's going to get arm fatigue, injured, and that's not something that I want to see. Anything else that either one of you wanted to add? Yeah, sure, Nick, go ahead. I was just going to say, I am a proponent for Garrett Whitlock for the bullpen. But if Cutter Crawford and Winkowski are getting the job done and, in essence, doing what Garrett Whitlock did from previous seasons when he was dominant and everything, makes it kind of interesting to determine, okay, if you want to put Whitlock back to the bullpen and you got three studs that are out there getting the job done, is that too many? I don't think you can have too many arms in the bullpen. Um, you know, especially everybody's one pitch away from, from disaster. Right. And I think his stuff plays obviously, you know, front end and back end of a rotation or a bullpen. Um, it's just, what are, what are we going to be able to get more out of him with? Right. And I think, you know, we get more appearances, we get a, you know, a slightly uptick fastball that changeup looks a little bit more devastating if he's in the bullpen is, you know, my own personal opinion. And I think we also have the uh, the scars of the wounds that are still pretty fresh from last year being like, okay, we've got no bullpen arms. Whitlock was lights out in 21. Why is he in the rotation for four to five innings? Um, it's just my personal opinion at the very least. Like I said, anybody that comes back from an injury, whether it be, you know, an arm, an ankle, anything like that, I'm nervous, especially if you haven't pitched for a month and it's not like you have an extended trip in triple a like getting back up to to speed here there have been a couple of people that have you know shared that because of the pitch clock and having to pitch a little bit quicker than expected and and or a lot quicker than expected um it's cause for additional fatigue and that's why we can't go as long and things like that this is different than the pitchers from 25 30 years ago that could throw 130 to 150 pitches and still be ready for you know three days uh, you know, a, a game in three days, you know, I'm thinking of like the Randy Johnsons who could literally do it all and probably pitch on no 
rest. The guy was an absolute monster Titan. Um, but, but that's it. And Scott Boris recently was, um, in the tabloids because he said, we need to extend rosters by like one or two guys. And you know, it's going to be every team adding one or two pitchers because pitchers are going down at an alarmingly high rate. And I don't think it's for any other reason. I don't think it's bad conditioning. I don't think it's unlucky. I think it's just pitchers now are not able to recharge their arms the way that they once did. And it will take some time before we get used to this new um, method of you've got 15 seconds once the umpire gets the ball back to you before you throw another one. I think it's going to be, it's going to bring a whole new term to the definition or definition to the term, excuse me, purpose pitch. You're not going to see pitchers wasting garbage pitches anymore because they don't have pitches to waste. They're not going to be able to waste the energy on it. I think that's going to actually be the, the thing. And there are my own personal opinions as to, you know, what we should do for the pitch clock. I think after you've pitched so many pitches in a game, you should get more time. I think that will help prolong. Uh, it, it'll get the game, you know, to last a little bit longer, but you're going to be able to keep starters in there a little bit longer too. And without the risk of injury, that's my two cents. Anything else that either one of you two gents want to add? I, I love that take, Charlie. I think that I think you're spot on with pitchers' health. I, I love that idea. Sign me up right now. Love it. Yeah, I, I think you know it, it, after you know fifty pitches, seventy five pitches. You know, instead of fifteen Late seconds, ball. you get eighteen seconds. Right. You know, just like a couple extra seconds. Very I really smart. don't think it's gonna make or break it. You know, it is what it is. So uh, that being said, my stud for this series was Alex Verdugo. Alex had a crazy series. And granted, it wasn't home runs and triples and anything nuts, but uh, five for 12 in the series, two multi-hit games, uh, walked a couple times, knocked in a couple runs, four singles, a double, a pair of strikeouts, which seems high for Alex, who sometimes goes an entire series without striking out. But still, when you do five for 12, as far as damage is concerned, you're hitting almost 500. You're doing a pretty damn good job. This was a series where it was really hard to you know, pick a dud, but it was not hard to pick studs because everybody seemed to light up the Christmas tree in the series. But Verdugo, my stud for the series, again, five for 12, four singles, a double, pair of RBIs, couple walks, couple strikeouts. Uh, Nick, we'll have you lead off with this one first. I thought it was a great series to see from Verdugo, especially after that Angels, which was a really weird series, by the way. That was just that, that kind of like a throwaway series in a way. I want to forget about it. And I think the team wanted to forget about it too, in particular Verdugo. Just seeing what he was able to do, be consistent, show that he's an all-star, because I legitimately think that he's one of the Red Sox. If I had a vote right now, he's one of my all-stars representing the team. And showing leadership. I think that's the big change that we've seen with him is the trust, the amount of responsibility that's being put on him to deliver and get the job done. I'm a big fan of what we've seen since the start of the season, consistency. And that's what you're getting right now from Alex Verdugo. So tip of the cap to him this series. They needed it, and they needed him, and it was great to see. Uh, Cody. This team goes when guys like Alex Verdugo goes, right? And I think it was incredibly important for this team to get a fast start uh, to game one of this series, much like Dick was saying, you know, the Angels series, got to make it a throwaway series, you know, flush it, wipe it, whatever you want to call it. And to, to get on the board early in, 
in game one, I think, really set the tone. And that's exactly what Verdugo does. Charlie, you mentioned it, five for for 12. Not a lot of extra base hits, but he doesn't need to be that guy that has the extra base hits. Those are, you know, uh, the proverbial cherry on top, right? If he goes for extra bases, great. If he can leg out a, a double or a single into a double, even better. But we don't need him trying to, you know, go for power. The... <laughs> Not to not to quote that one guy that says he could luck his way into a home run, which is just a bonkers take. These are professional hitters; they can luck themselves into home runs. That the home run power numbers are going to come if they're coming. If if they don't, that's fine either because he needs to be the one that's on base in front of uh, the guys in our lineup that can do uh, some some heavy damage. Right? Give Rafi those RBI chances. Give Yoshida. Give Turner. Um, you know, chances with with guys on base, and he has just been an absolute. Um, bell cow for us this year, right? You know, he obviously had that really, really hot start, was kind of carrying us through uh, some series in which other guys were still warming up a little bit. And then, you know, he kind of cooled off a little. So it's good to see him kind of come back around and, and start to put together uh, some some good series here. Verdugo, Verdugo's your one or your two guy. You know, he's bat- he batted both second and first, depending on the game. Um, I don't want you to be a home run hitter. I don't need you to be a home run hitter. I need you to be a distraction. You know, get on base, make it difficult for pitchers to, you know, figure out how they want to handle Rafi Devers, how they want to figure out Justin Turner, because he is, believe it or not, one of, he was brought in for a reason. Yes, he's old, but I want them to to think about how they're going to pitch to Turner. I want them to wonder how they're going to pitch Yoshida. I don't want you to go out. I don't want Toppy to go out because then that's an automatic walk for that guy that we need to score or need to knock in runs. You have one out or two outs and Devers with a free base. Yeah, give him the free pass. You don't need to pitch to him. You can give waste pitches to Rafi Devers. And chances are, because he's pressing a lot, he'll probably swing at some of those too. So um, great job on Devers for for creating the catastrophe on, on base by just doing what he's known to do and, and Cody mentioned, you know, caught fire first month of the season, hit over 300, four homers, uh, 15, 20 RBIs, like just doing great. A really slow May. Again, not just Alex Verdugo, a lot of players that are kind of following that trend, but we seem to be getting hot and cold at the same time. Either the hitters get hot and and, and the pitchers go cold and vice versa. And this was one of those weird ones where, you know, the bats and, and, and pitching kind of inverted again, because you know, we saw the pitching doing well, the hitters going kind of soft, and, and it kind of went a little bit inverse. So we're, we're hoping to see things kind of work their way up, and it's, it's great when everything's firing and your offense is going off and your pitching is going, you know, doing fantastic things. A um, couple honorable mentions. Uh, Tristan Cassis, who has been a dud for a little bit, 5 for 13, three singles, a pair of doubles, four runs scored. Uh, one interesting thing there, five strikeouts in that in that uh, most recent series. He mentioned before he got into the uh, batter's box, he said he's going to play with the, the clock and he's, he's going to talk to himself. And you could hear him talking to the umpire. I think the umpire said, wait, what? And he repeated himself saying he's going to just take his time and, and figure it out. And our very own Micah on the other side uh, during our midweek show had posted that Tristan Castles, when he swings at the first pitch, has a ridiculous batting average. I forget what the actual tweet was, but it was something where his batting average is like over 300. And when he looks at the first pitch and, you know, really works in that bat, his batting average 
uh, obviously is not as good. It's, it's, it's much lower, which is interesting for a guy like Tristan Cassis to Micah's point, because he does like to work in at bat. He does not want to swing at the first pitch. And the caveat to that is sometimes when you get a first pitch ball, the second one is a pipeline fastball that he also doesn't swing at because he's just over analyzing. And I think doing too much in his head and, and forgetting to just be a ball player, just swing. If it's a good pitch, don't swing. If it's not a um, couple other honorable mentions, you had Josh Winkowski and Nick Pavetta both go three innings. Pavetta allowed a, a couple hits, struck out three uh, wink had three hits allowed one run, one strikeout. Both did really well as far as their strikeout per uh, strike percentage. Uh, Kenley Jensen strikeout inning of work, almost 70% strikes. Connor Wong went three for seven in the series, had a single, a pair of doubles, couple runs scored. Turner went four for, um, oh God, was it four for 11 in that set or four for 14? I think it was four for 14. Three singles, a double, a couple RBIs, a walk, four strikeouts. As you can see, a lot of guys did some great work. And it's not like we went off in all four games. We scored 11 runs and we allowed seven. So we barely had, you know, a little over one run difference per game. Um, but it was really that first game where we got the party started. So um, a lot of honorable mentions there. Really happy to see um, this team do well because Arizona was one of those teams that had kind of had a lot of people's numbers to start the year. Arizona, as most of you know, was you know leading the NL West for a little while, and now they're back in second because the Dodgers have caught fire, cooled off a little bit. But again, nobody had the um, Diamondbacks leading the roost. So good on them, but uh, even better for us that we were able to do what we did. So we're going to slide right into our dud. So um, Cody, why don't you go first with your dud? I wanted to make sure I didn't say your dud's name. So go ahead and uh, share who that was. Yeah, Charlie, you uh, you mentioned it in, in your last segment there. You know, it was really easy to pick studs for this. Uh, seems like different guys picked up the, the weight or the load. Uh, different games, um, duds were a little bit hard to come by, and and the only reason I'm picking this guy for my dud is right because there were few and far between, and for me it's got to be Tanner Houck. Um, not that I'm sitting here enjoying this or you know really even that upset at at him for his his performance and his effort today in uh, the third game of the series, but uh, we were seemingly never really in the game, right? I think you know we had like a seven pitch top of the first inning, and then he goes out and. Uh, a, a three a three spot gets dropped on his head pretty immediately. Um, you know, he just didn't look like he had it uh, today, which was a real shame, right? You know, this is a guy that came off of one of his better starts the the year. He looked like he was, you know, kind of finding something, getting those swings and misses. Um, no walks today, which is huge. But he had four or four innings, uh, six hits, four run, all earned, four Ks, and and two home runs. Right, uh, he had a two run shot in the first inning, and then the pushed across another run um in the in the second uh just didn't didn't seem sharp um maybe you know we can just say hey it was mechanical maybe he was tipping a pitch or something like that who knows what it was but credit to him he retired the last nine batters he kept us in the mix and we had our chances we had our looks to win this game this was very much uh an opportunity for us to get a sweep uh that that big hit just never really kind of came through you know bases loaded I believe it was in the seventh inning. Um, and then again, we had a scoring opportunity in the eighth. Uh, we just couldn't get it done. Um, so, yeah, for me, uh, for this series, the dud's got to be Tanner Houck. Nick? What's interesting with Houck is that 
typically when he starts out the games, he starts out and he goes well. And then when it gets to the fourth or the fifth, that's when you start getting into trouble. We really haven't seen this version of Hulk struggling from the very beginning and then kind of refining his way as he goes through uh, the lineup. I actually looked at that as encouraging for a guy that is trying to prove that he can be a starter. This, to me, was a sign that says, okay, if he starts to falter and he starts to get out of sync and get out of rhythm, there is hope, there is a chance, there is a way that he can still stay in the game and keep you within reach of being competitive. So, again, kind of as Cody said, he's not really like a dud-dud for this. It was very hard and hard to come by with some of what we saw this past weekend, but no doubt you got to come out. You got to, you got to, you know, set your pitches straight. You got to make sure you have command. You got to make sure that you're keeping your team in the game. And they really weren't in this game at the very beginning. So I'm hoping that with Hulk next start out, we see him coming out, looking sharper, getting his pitches where he needs to, and still proving that he is the one that belongs in the rotation, not a Kluber, not a Pavetta. I don't want to see that you know cloud come over him every time he goes out. Prove it, get it done, no more questions. The one thing that um, I took away from, from Hauk was the game, the game kind of got out of hand pretty quickly, but they're seeing that he's falling in love with fastball, fastball uh, patterns. He loves throwing fastball, fastball. And, you know, Smith hit one to center. Marte, who went yard the night before, saw a couple of fastballs in that at-bat. And it was, you know, high fastball, low 90s, ripped that uh, in a a right field. And then Corbin Carroll, who's a a potential favorite to um, get NL Rookie of the Year, hit a two-run homer. Again, four-seam fastball, low 90s. Then Walker comes up. He gets a single. I don't think that was a fastball, but then it was like, okay, cool. What's going on? Like, why? What's happening? Because this is another inning where he's thrown over 30 pitches, I think. I'd I'd have to look back at it, but it was was just too long. It, It felt like it felt like Corey Kluber almost where Kluber threw 40 pitches in the first inning because nothing was working. All of the damage got done in the first inning. He allowed another run in the second inning, solo home run to, was it Perdomo? Was it Perdomo? I, I forget who it was. Anyways, it doesn't matter. The damage was done. We were down 3-0 and even in the second inning, I'm going to look it up because now it's driving me nuts. Yeah, it was Perdomo with the solo home run. Um, he just, it, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't his day. That was it. That's what it comes down to. It wasn't his game. Um, we saw, we saw Hauk do some really, really good work in his last appearance when he was facing the Angels. He did fantastic. And so I want to call this a blip game. It just was unfortunate. He faced off against Merrill Kelly, who is someone that doesn't get talked about a lot. And it's because he faces or he plays for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Merrill Kelly's a stud. And people don't talk about Merrill Kelly. He does not get the respect that he deserves 
and he showed everybody why he should be talked about. He's absolutely lighting it up. I mean, he's won, I think, five games in a row. He just, he's, he's doing it. He's doing what Arizona needs him to do. And it was just really unfortunate. If we weren't facing Merrill Kelly and we were facing another, you know, a, a bump pitcher, we're probably scoring three, four runs and making this a little bit interesting. And, and maybe, you know, Hawk is able to go a little bit further, maybe another inning, because he wasn't in the 90 or 100s. He's only in the 70s as far as the game was concerned. So really just, I think, unlucky. Unlucky is the word for, for, uh, for Tanner as far as that's concerned. But again, this is a series where there weren't too many duds, so it was really who made mistakes. Um, and those were the people that we were left with, you know? Um, anything else that either one of you wanted to add? Cool. Uh, Nick, I believe you're next. Who was your dud for the series? We talked about it on the last show, and I kind of – I don't know if you guys remember when I was kind of joking around and saying, you know, I want to just kind of poke the bear at Justin Turner because I really like him and I wanted to get him going. And he was hurt. He did leave that series against the Padres and he didn't really play. Well, I got to harp on Rafi Devers on this one. I know he didn't play for two games. He was out from injury and everything. But that game today, 0 for 5, just ugh, awful game. Here's some of his stats that he's had in the past 10 days. He's eight for his last 39, so he's hitting 205, and he has nine Ks over that strand over the last 10 games as well, too. I don't know how hurt he is or if this is more of just a mental block with him on consistency. The power's there. I'm not concerned on that factor. The ability to hit when you're paying him top dollar to be your superstar is what is leaving me a little uneasy at the current moment. And players go through these different phases. But the one thing that concerns me on this one here is the protection. Verdugo kind of going down to that two hole. I don't know if that's something that Cora is trying to work with so he can have a little bit more protection for Devers and take the pressure off. I think Devers is under a little bit more pressure than he's ever been, especially in his career. He doesn't have a Xander Bogarts to protect him around his lineup. He doesn't have a J.D. Martinez. He's got a Justin Turner. He's got an Alex Verdugo of sorts and kind of question marks as of right now on what's going to protect your big thumper right there in your lineup. I want to see him work out of this, this slump that he's in and prove and show that this whole conversation that I'm having right now is for nothing and bring that consistency and show that he's one of the best superstars in baseball. But over the past 10 definitely deserves to be a conversation here. Again, he had a pretty good power surge on this trip, especially for one of the games against the Padres when he hit the two home runs, one of which is a huge one, obviously against Xander and everything from the Padres. But I think we need to see more out of him right now. Um, Cody. It's, uh, with a guy like Devers, he's one much like Xander was much like a lot of the guys in Boston. Um, you know, I think it's a tone that got set, uh, with, with a bunch of idiots and it's just kind of been passed down, right? You play injured and you gut it out, you figure it out, you play through it. Um, you know, we've seen Pejoria do it. We've seen Ortiz do it. We've seen many a guy do it. 
And I think with Devers, because uh, he is so overly aggressive in the batter's box, um, when he's hurt, when he's not balanced, when he's um, kind of lunging, for lack of better terms, the fall off is a little bit more drastic than it would be for other guys, right? That swing that he has is so violent. Um, and, you know, we saw it, I think, a couple of years ago when he had that elbow issue. He was wearing that terry cloth sleeve, which I didn't know, like, how that was supposed to help him. But, uh, you know, he was still hitting bombs. So who am I to, to argue? Um, I'm wondering if this calf issue that he's currently going through is a little bit more uh, significant than, than we're leading on, right? Um, you know, he did not look like he was moving down the line well today. Uh, he did not look like he was um, particularly spry in the field as well. Um, but we've seen him produce at a high level and we've seen him sustain that high level of production. I have no remorse for paying him the money that we did. And, you know, we were all clamoring for him to get paid in the offseason as it was anyway. So it's, you know, if you're going to be saying, hey, we need to pay this guy to keep this guy, then you can't get mad when he doesn't play after you paid him, right? I mean, it's it's going to be, you got to pick one side of the road. Um, my biggest my biggest point of concern at the moment uh, with, with Rafi, and, you know, I, I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later as well, is just, you know, what is he doing when he's expanding the zone on his own right, right? Is he trying so desperately to make those impact hits to drive in the base runners that are in front of him that he's not swinging at garbage, right? No, this is a guy that can hit a home run off of pretty much any pitch, and we've seen him do it. Um, but make the pitchers pitch to you. Make the pitchers work. Um, you know, we, we've we got a lineup of guys that are built to not strike out, and and his strikeout numbers are seemingly creeping up higher than I than I ever remember them being. So um, I'd like to see him be a little bit more patient. I'd like to see him work out the count and maybe not try to always leave the yard. Charlie, what are your thoughts? So one thing I was talking about was offering protection for Devers. You're going to offer protection by getting on base. He had five at five at bats, two of which there was nobody on base. There's no, there's no fear to pitch to Devers. You can make him reach. You can throw ugly pitches. You can throw waste pitches. There's one at bat. He had a runner at first, didn't get it done. There was one with a, a one out. That was the ninth inning. Didn't get it done. That was the last at-bat. He had the bases loaded, and that's the only real at-bat I was concerned about because he struck out with the bases jacked, I'm pretty sure. And then it was a runner at third with two outs. This is someone who's trying to get hit home runs every single time. So with one out and a runner at third, you're hoping, okay, maybe a sack fly up. Maybe. We'll see. 0 for 5 in the game. Didn't have a really great, uh, you know, obviously... Not doing fantastic for the month. We we kind of you know talked about that hitting two seventy, doing better this month as far as batting average is concerned. Relation to last month, overall kind of slow. Similar to to Cody, I'm going to echo the sentiment. I'm not nervous. I'm not concerned. I do not regret the deal that we signed. Uh, we made, excuse me, to sign Rafael Devers. I think he's worth every penny of that and more. We do not know if there is an injury. I pray that there is no injury because I'd rather him man third than Justin Turner. Um, one, because Devers is a little young, a little bit more agile. Uh, I just don't think that Turner moves the same way that he once did. But I'm just going to leave it there. I, I really don't want to harp on it too much. Devers is the best ball player we have on this team, and it's not even close. It's just not. So we did the right thing. We signed our guy. We got our guy. I mean, if there's 
any question marks there, I would be wondering if you've really been paying attention to the Red Sox this year and last year and everything in between. So uh, unless there's anything else with either one of those two, I say we move right into uh, the series coming up. Good. All right. Excellent. So coming up in the uh, series, we've got, uh, after just wrapping up Arizona, we've got Cincinnati. We do have a day off tomorrow. We are going to be playing Cincinnati. First game, we have Brian Bayo against Ben Lively. Uh, Nick, why don't you take this away? Who do you have winning game one? Oh, Fenway homecoming for the Red Sox coming back. It's been a while since they've been back to Boston, and I think they're going to come back and get onto their winning ways. I've loved to see the the progression of what you see with Brian Bayo, and I just see him like a like a fine wine. I think he gets better and better as he gets more time out there and gets more adapted to Major League Baseball. I expect a nice quality start from him on that Tuesday evening game and gets the Red Sox right into that W column. Cody. I'm going to zag here. I'm also going to hand up, uh, take some responsibility, some culpability to how that Anaheim series went. Um, the boys picked a, a triple sweep and we probably got stuffed into a locker. Uh, I think the Reds are going to take game one. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be a, a Bayo issue. I don't know if it's necessarily even going to be uh, a lively issue. I think, you know, this is going to be one of those games where, um, you know, the starting pitchers have a little duel and, you know, a guy that's maybe been used a little bit more uh, ends up giving up, uh, you know, a late inning or yeah, a late inning run. And a, that could be the difference, right? Uh, Lively's been pitching very well of late. Um, his last seven games, you know, he's two and two with a two, six, five ERA, um, 18 strikeouts and only five earned runs given up. Um, you know, he has pitched against Colorado, New York, and St. Louis, and he's given up a total of five runs. Um, I, I think he's humming along. Bayo's continued to look good. Um, I think this is going to be one of those funky games, uh, a seeing eye single kind of ends up being the difference, but, uh, I think the Reds get game one, but the Red Sox are are happy to be back on the East Coast. I'm excited to see baseball at a regular time again. Uh, that's for sure. And I think that's going to help uh, kind of get the get the gears going for, for the Sox. So I actually think that Cincinnati is going to end up winning game one. I, I hate saying that because I really do like Brian Bayo. I think he's exciting. He's an exciting talent. I've just seen a very different Ben Lively. Um, I don't know him all that well, but just taking a peek at the fact that he was able to piece apart both the Yankees and the Cardinals, a team that did damage against us. He, in his last two appearances, 11 and two thirds innings has given up four earned runs, three of which he's given up three home runs. So 16 strikeouts to go along with that. So he's feeling himself. He's feeling good. Um, I, I think that's going to be kind of a surprise game. And I, you know, for a team that really doesn't have much going right for them, I think this is going to be the one thing that does go right, and the Reds will take game one of this three-game set. Uh, we got James Paxton going up in game two against Luke Weaver. Uh, Nick, who do you have going in that one? Who do you have winning? I actually have the Reds winning in this one. That start, very discouraging for me. 
uh, for James Paxton his, Paxton, his last start against the Angels when he gave up five earned runs in three or four innings, I believe, pitched. I think that we're, just like Charlie and, and Cody said on this, we're underestimating the Reds here a little bit. This team just came off a three-game sweep of the Cubs as well. This is a team that's starting to kind of find themselves, and they have some prospects that are starting to come up into their ranks and everything too that are inserting some life into this team. Again, we don't know that, that much about the Reds because we don't see them on a daily basis like everybody else would in Cincinnati out there. But I do think that they're going to push the limit here on the Red Sox and give them a good test. So this is definitely not going to be a three-game sweep prediction for many of us here this evening on this. I just think that Paxton is going to get out big time on uh, Tuesday evening um, and probably take the loss. Cody, what do you have in uh, game two? In game two, I have the Red Sox for so far a series uh, split, making game three a rubber match. Um, Weaver hasn't uh, been trending as as well as Lively has been. Uh, he's been giving up you know, quite a few more runs, and he doesn't have that same punch out uh potential uh I, I like the red sox to work count here get that pitch count up uh, this seems to be more of a high scoring game you know so far we've got two good outings from paxton and and one kind of dudish outing um i like to see i'd like to think he gets kind of back on track here uh one thing that we do have working for us uh for this series is all three reds uh pitchers are right-handed so all of our lefty bats can you know theoretically tee off or play Play pepper or popcorn with a monster. I like the Red Sox to take game two. Yeah, that's going to be um, two in a row. I like the Red Sox taking game two here. I think that what we saw from James Paxton was a little bit of a blip. I really don't want to believe that anything remotely close to what we saw in the last appearance was something of signs to come on a regular basis. I think, you know, he just had a rough start. He did very well in his first two appearances, did well against St. Louis, a team that did damage against us did well against the Padres a team that everybody thought was going to be incredible um only one run allowed again by way of a solo home run I have no no fear whatsoever in in their pitcher I don't think Weaver is going to do anything so I think the Red Sox will win game two splitting it and as Cody mentioned a rubber game game three you have Chris Sale going up against Hunter Green Cody, why don't you lead this one off? Who do you have winning game three? Man, this one's tough. Uh, I would say get your popcorn ready for this one because this is going to be a fun game to watch. Uh, you know, Chris Sale's knock on wood humming right now. He's had uh, a pretty great four or five game stretch where he's, you know, really starting to turn himself back into Chris Sale of old. But uh, Hunter Green's also electric. Double digit strikeouts in his last two outings. Um, one against New York and one against Chicago. Um Guy does get touched up from for for runs here and there, so I think the onus is going to be on the Red Sox to make sure they stay patient, not try to expand the zone or you know swing out of their shoes and and kind of let uh, the pitch count work in their favor, right? You know, we lead the league in getting the starting pitcher out in the fourth inning or or earlier. Um, I'd like to think that the Red Sox are going to try to do that uh, in Game Three here, and hopefully we can get into that Reds bullpen sooner rather than later and take Game Three for a series victory. Yeah, so I've got um, Chris Sale winning game three. Um, 
Nick, I'm sorry. I didn't ask you. Sorry, Nick. Why don't you go first? Weigh in before I go in. I got Chris Sale also going uh, for the victory on this game three. I did just want to let people know a little bit more about Hunter Green. As Cody said, very electric stuff. Past two starts through against the Yankees. He did take the loss, kind of an unlucky loss. He went seven innings, gave up four, but only two of those were earned. Struck out 10 Yankees. Then his last start out against the Cubs, he did pick up the win. He went six innings, and he had 11 strikeouts in that in that uh, victorious game there. So for a team that just struck out 15 times today against the Diamondbacks with uh, Merrill, I'm a little concerned on this one for this Wednesday game. I do think it's going to be a low-scoring one, but I'm going to give the upper hand to Chris Sale in this one. Sale has really got the confidence right now back in I have confidence saying that I think we what we're seeing from Chris Sale is legitimate and something that you can build off of. So I expect this to be, in my eyes, a two-win series here for the Sox. So hopefully they can get that done uh, for Thursday night. Yeah, same here. Uh, Red Sox win game three. Chris Sale eliminates any question of – him being a starter this year and literally shuts everyone down who thinks that he just can't handle it anymore. Uh, unless that's unless there's anything else either one of you guys want to add, that is going to wrap it up for all of us here tonight. We want to thank all of our loyal listeners and to our first-time listeners as well. We appreciate all of you, whether you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. We thank you. Everyone, have a great night. Take care. <laughs>